let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into today's study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to do these studies. We invite your presence to be with us. Give us clarity of speech. Help us that we will be able to convey the ideas that are in your word in a way that will be beneficial for our hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's study is entitled, Unto the Church of Ephesus. And our passage for this study comes to us from Revelation 2, verse 1, from the King James Version of the Bible. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Okay. Unto the church of Ephesus. What we're going to start here, what we're going to do are the letters to the seven churches found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And although the title says unto the church of Ephesus, the full message is unto the angel or messenger of the church of Ephesus. Now, if that seems strange, let's go back briefly to Revelation 1 verse 1. And actually, we'll go up to verse 3. Listen to this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Okay, so this tells us that this book is about the revelation of Christ, which God gave to Christ, to show unto Christ's servants things which must shortly come to pass, and Christ sent and signified it, right? Signified meaning used signs, symbols, by his angel unto his servant John. And John bare record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of everything that he saw. So this message comes to us from the Father by way of the Son through an angel and the prophet 
outlining for us the key things that we need to understand and do. Okay? And do. So we get to the place in Revelation 2 where John sees someone like unto the Son of God, unto the Son of Man, in the sanctuary. That's, that's the language that he has. So look here. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. This is Christ speaking. In your Bible, uh, most Bibles would show all of this in red because this is Christ giving the message. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Each of these letters, each of these little snippets to the seven churches, contains a description of Christ that is pertinent especially to the people of that time. In fact, before we begin this, I should say, that the letter to the seven churches, or the letters to the seven churches, is very important to us. One, those churches all existed. In the time of John, those were seven literal churches that existed. The message applied to them, but not only to them individually, but to God's people broadly. But certainly, the message applied to each of the people that it's targeted. That's one. The second way in which we look at these messages is they represent a sequential um, outlook, warning, rebuke, instruction, correction for God's church over time. This church this me- the message to the first church represents the apostolic period of God's church, roughly 31 AD through 100 AD. Okay, It represents the, the, an early period, and we're going to get into that message. So the church of Ephesus. The subsequent churches represent time after that. And as we do each of the messages to the churches, we will indicate what time period they cover. The third way in which we look at this, right? the first way is to the literal churches that existed at that time. The second way is to the church on a whole throughout time. And then the third way we look at it is in our individual lives, we may find ourselves in an Ephesus frame of mind, frame of existence. We may be in a Pergamos frame of existence. At whatever point that we are in personally and individually, or even as a family or a local congregation, our church, our family, our person, we may find ourselves in a place where a specific message is targeted to us at that moment because of the nature of the message and because of the nature of our state. Okay? So those are the three ways that we're going to look at when we address these messages. Let's go to Ephesus. 
So Christ has identified himself. That's one of the things he does in each of these letters. He identifies himself here as he who is holding the seven stars in his right hand. Okay? And who's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the, and the candlesticks represent God's people. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Okay. Throughout these letters, we're going to see that Christ is paying attention to our works. It is true that works do not save us, but it is also true that works are a fruit, a byproduct of our state. And if we are in a saved state, we will bring forth much fruit. If we are not bringing forth much fruit, it says something negative about our current spiritual condition. Okay? So Christ is, is um, he pays attention to our works because, again, our works are an indicator of our state. They are not what our state depends upon. The early church labored hard for the Lord. They were patient in many, many ways. They endured a lot of things that they went through. They could not bear those who were evil. When they turned away from wickedness, they stayed away from wickedness. They evaluated those who claimed to be apostles. It's important. That was tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars. This is an important message to us. When people come and talk about them being a prophet or preacher or an evangelist, whatever they claim to be, it is important for us to match those claims against the word of God, to match what they say and how they behave against the word of God, and then determine from the word of God if they match who they say they are. Okay. Verse 3, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Right? So there's a lot of commendation for the apostolic church. But we get to a point that's interesting. And verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, the translators put somewhat, you can see this italicized if you're looking in a King James Version or a New King James. And that indicates that they felt, based on everything that was said, that it was, I have a little something against you. But Christ says, nevertheless, I have against thee, I have something against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. The danger when a church or a congregation or an individual is at a height in their spiritual experience, a danger when they shun and eschew evil is that we can become critical, supercritical, beyond just avoiding evil for evil's sake or for God's sake. We can become supercritical, super picky about where people are and how they are, and we can start looking for faults in others which, of course, doesn't bode well for our own spiritual um, condition. 
right? If we continually look for faults in others, we'll find them. We'll become good at finding them. And it will, it will change the nature of our character. Think about the fact that Christ, the perfect person who was on this earth, the only sinless person, went about in the midst of sinners, but didn't spend all of his time looking to call them out on things. I'm not saying he just put up with everything that occurred. I'm saying that his goal was not to look for the worst in people, to not, not to look for their failures, but to bring them to righteousness. And so his focus and intent was salvific. He focused on redemption, not condemnation, even though he was the only person who could have been in either camp. He was pure. He was holy. He was sinless. He could have condemned everyone. But he came to redeem, and that's what he focused on. And so here we have God's church, the people, working hard for the Lord, doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they've lost sight of the actuating love of God. And as a result, they become critical, etc. The other way to look at that, too, is sometimes we are so hung up on doing the work of God that we lose track of spending time with God. So instead of doing what we're doing out of love for God, we do it out of obligation or habit or ritual or formality. And, and then we've lost our first love. We're not being actuated by love anymore. We're being actuated by purpose and agenda and status and routine, whatever it is. Okay. Verse five, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, works born of love. Do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. It's interesting here. Christ is, is saying, if you don't get it together soon, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your candlestick because you're out of harmony. You're out of alignment, right? That behavior is not in line with the kingdom of God, which means you're out of line with the kingdom of God. You did a lot of good things and you were in a good place for a long time, but right now you're out of alignment and you have to get it together quickly. Okay. Now, I want to point out something. I'm going to say it now because I'll probably say it each of the times we go through this. The removal or the, the, the threat or the warning to remove them, their candlestick, no church in any of these messages replaces another church, right? Even though in the second perspective that we provided, the churches, the churches are sequential in terms of how... God's church moved over time. The fact is that Smyrna doesn't replace Ephesus. God's church has an Ephesus experience and then has a Smyrna experience and then has a Pergamum experience. And the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason why it's important is oftentimes um, people feel as though, well, if, if this church fails, this other church will replace it. But that's not how it worked. That's not how it worked, right? If 
the church represents, if these letters to the churches represent periods of time, you know there are people who bridged time, right? For instance, the apostolic church, Ephesus, is from 31 AD to 100 AD. And then Smyrna, the persecuted church, is from 100 AD to 313 AD. What happens to someone who lived during the period of 90 AD to 110? They would have shifted between two modes, not necessarily as an individual, but they would have lived through a period when the church, the bulk of the church membership, shifted from this one mode to this other mode because of things around them, because of things in them and with the churches, right? In which case, the church doesn't replace. Like the idea of these churches replacing each other, they don't. These are phases or um, timelines of experience that God's people went through historically in addition to the individual state that we can be in, okay? Verse 6, but this thou hast, here's a redeeming component, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a group that had these kind of Gnostic beliefs that they could do, the body could do whatever the body was doing, but the mind could be pure, separate of that. And of course, you know that leads you to really bad places because any, any doctrine or philosophy which leads you to believe that you can allow your body to do any old thing, but your brain, your mind, your spirit can be separate from that. No, that's going to destroy the people. In fact, that's what the name Nicolaitan has come to mean, destroyer of the people. That was a bad thing, and apparently there were some folks who, who believed that. And so Christ says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans the same way I hate them. Verse 7, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay? Each of these messages we're going to see closes out with a promise. Those who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, the promise of overcoming, those are the two things we're going to see throughout our reading here. I know thy works, and to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If we are in an Ephesus experience right now, much of which is good, let us remember to avoid the part that isn't. Let us not forget our first love. Let us keep our eyes on Christ and be prepared to labor for him and with him and to have patience and to be overcomers and not to fall away and have our candlestick plucked out. Okay? Let's close with a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and goodness and for your love. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us more than we can ask or think. Please help us as we go through these lessons to the seven churches. Help us to to, um, not only understand how it applied historically, but pay attention to how it applies to us directly and personally. Forgive us of our sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word. Thank you.